Okay, let's go. Mary's ready. Mary's ready to go back there. She's got it all going, so let's, uh, let's not make... I mean, come on, you know this. Let's not make Mary sad, right? All right, good. That's Everybody knows that. Let's pray. Grant, O oh Lord, grant that we... Grant us not to mind earthly things, but to love things that are heavenly. And while we now dwell among things that are passing away, to cleave to those that will last forever. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. All right, how you doing? Everybody okay? Yeah? Oh, so enthusiastic about your lives. Good, okay. That's beautiful. <laughs> right, okay. I know, uh, you know, it's been a long week. I don't want to say too much about that. I've talked to some people across the course of the week and observed a lot more. Um, you know, just kind of things going on. Just try to remember who you are, right? Uh, so I kind of, in my own mind, have fixed it this way. Um, uh, virtue above tribe, right? Virtue above tribe. And principle above politics. Politics is strategy, right? Principle is what matters. So virtue above tribe and principle of politics and Christ above all things. Just try to kind of remember that, okay? And also I would, you know, I know in this room here and in the congregation there are people on all sides of this. So especially here, be sensitive to your friends who might disagree with you. Um, It was confusing in all directions. People make different kinds of choices. So please, please, you know, be gentle. And then especially... Try to be gentle to people who, um, on any side, you know, you, you want to be careful about uh, not being either, uh, you know, kind of, uh, well, you just want to be gentle with people in all directions, right? You know, no matter where you find yourself. So there you go. Um, so we're going to move ahead a little bit and just talk about God as Father, you remember last time, the last couple of times I've talked to you, all I've tried to do is convince you that there's other ways of knowing. And that doesn't mean you have to think about the normal ways you think about knowing in our time. So science, for example, or reason, as bad things. They, sh- they don't need to be your enemies. They can be your friends. And we, <clears throat> we don't do our best when we always, you know, we're always against everything. Um, you know, just think clearly. But there's other ways of knowing, too. I mean, one way is to do mathematics. It's a beautiful thing. It's poetry. That's one way of knowing things. Reason is a way of knowing things, to think clearly, you know, a skill that's not always exercised. Uh, To think clearly, that's a way of knowing. But to observe someone who is genuinely humble, that's a way of knowing. To kiss someone is a way of knowing, right? To be in love is a, is a way of knowing. There are all sorts of ways to know things. And as I was writing this week, I realized there, I was trying to imagine other ways that I would do this differently. And I, you know, I can imagine some of you actually um, saying, you know, what about all these other things we should be talking about, which in fact is true. But what I'm trying to do is give you an experiential engagement with the creed. So I'm not giving you a hundred reasons uh, for, for the design of the universe, therefore you should believe in God the creator. I'm actually not doing that. You can find that if you want it. But, um, and it's a, it's a good thing to be able to do, but I try to think about you and I and the people that we meet. Who are the people that we meet? And what would be, so just even in this moment in America, what would be the thing that would distinguish the church and church people like you from other people? And you know, the, the answer is love. That the, the people in the church would love in all circumstances, would distinguish us from, from perhaps other, other people, where the virtue of love, the divine virtue of love matters most, and that would guide us. 
And I would suggest to you, at least today I'm going to try to suggest to you, that this is precisely the thing that you respond to in your engagement with God as your father. And that, that in itself can be fraught with things. So I'm not taking you um, in one sense. I'm not sort of giving you reasonable proofs for why God exists or why God is the creator. In another sense, I'm not um, trying to argue out about the nature of God this time around, necessarily, or, or um, you know, all the speculations that different people have gone in. What I'm trying to do, or even comparing this God with other gods, what I am trying to do for you is I try to imagine myself or you bumping into somebody who might be a little edgy but open, or someone who might have a sense that they have a soul, that spirituality is important to them, or maybe to someone who's just um, sort of hard-hearted, and maybe for reasons you don't know. That very first quote in the larger comments for today from Philo of Alexandria, where he says, be kind to people, everybody's fighting a big battle, right? That's a remarkable thing, right? Be kind to people, everybody's fighting a big, big battle. Or Desmond Tutu, life is too short to be nasty, right? Life is too short to be nasty. So I try to imagine what sort of people we could be. You know, this is the end of First Peter, um, or maybe the end of Second Peter. What sort of persons ought you to be because you know that the whole world is going to end in a fireball. What sort of persons ought you to be? Well, this is the sort of person you ought to be. And why? Well, because you have a lineage, because you're a child of God. So that's where I want to try to take you today. We can certainly talk about the other things if you want, although I'll be more and less prepared for those things. But what I want to try to do is talk about what I want you to get comfortable with the notion of God, at least today, as Father and Almighty. We'll probably come back around maybe to one and Creator next time around. We'll see. But I just want, to, I want, to, I just want you to be, um, I, 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 first, your relationship, and then also how you might expose other people who, largely, are alone and unloved, and they manifest that by being angry and afraid. When people are isolated, and when they think everybody is against them, that manifests as anger and fear, and that manifests in many other ways, right? So let's see if we can move past that and you know, be what Jesus calls us to be, which is other kinds of persons. What does that actually mean? So I, just, I gave you sort of this quick review, but you, we don't really necessarily need to do that. Although, uh, you know, the creed is there to restore our memory. The creed is useful in so many ways to teach us what to say, to remind us that Jesus is tender with us, to help us understand what the church looks like. I'm very taken, though, by this notion of Mary's words to those at the wedding of Cana, do whatever he tells you. The creed is there so that we can learn to do whatever Jesus tells us, so that we are douloi, we are slaves to Christ. We're free in Christ, but also slaves to Christ. And, um, you know, then this kind of common thing, everybody has a way they make it through life. Everybody has presuppositions, everybody has biases, everybody has assumptions, um, if you're a thinking human being, or even, even people who aren't that reflective. They have presuppositions and ways that they make it through life. And then sort of the church's question, the gentle question is, hey, why not this way? Why not pay attention to this? Why not in a time when you know America feels like it's coming apart at the seams? Why not give this a try again? Because there were times when this... I will tell you, of course, there were times when the church was triumphant and the church was the cause of many troubles. But let's kind of rethink this, and let's see whether um, the church might have something to offer, especially to those who think that we have absolutely nothing to offer. And sometimes we brought that on ourselves. But um, 
Everybody makes mistakes, so we repent of that and we try to go forward. So I'm at point number two now. So why should we believe this story, right? Well, because um, God loves you. It's pretty simple, actually. You know, that, that God actually actually loves you. And so we're meant for all sorts of things divine. The, in the most basic sense, that what, what it means that God loves you is that God gathers you close and shares what he's got. In the most basic sense, that's what his love for you means, that he gathers you close. And so I give you, you know, Ephesians um, 5, 9. You're meant for the good and the true and the beautiful and the wonderful. That's what you're meant for, right? This is what human beings uh, are meant for. And so we're actually free. It's, it's uh, one, of the, one of the problems with, with how badly so many people in all directions have been hurt with what we've been through in America. One of the reasons that's so difficult is those things can tend to harden. And people can carry that with them. And uh, then it's going to come out again later and probably in a much more difficult way. But maybe we could be different. That's what I want to suggest to you. Um, so, you know, um, Ephesians, I'm just going to read you a couple of verses from Ephesians 5, 7, 7, 8, 9 here. Don't become partners with them, with darkness, right? With dark. Don't become partners with darkness. But now you're in the light of the Lord. So, now the basic thing, walk as the children of the light. That this is a pilgrimage, right? That we're walking home, that we have a home, that we know our way, that we follow Jesus in Emmaus. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. Virtue above tribe. So it means, I mean, in the most basic sense, that if I'm a white male, sometimes I have to say about white males, you're wrong and that's horrible. And you can extend that to whatever tribe you happen to belong to voluntarily or involuntarily. Right? What's good and true and right and light. So that's what you're looking for. Right? What's good and true and right and light. That's what you're looking for. And when you're looking for that, so when you're looking for the good in other people, the light in other people, what's true in other people, and I'll just push you a little bit, when you live selflessly for other people, regardless of how they, they treat you. That is divine. That's a divine thing, to love in that way. You know, um, all these other things, hatred, cynicism, suspicion, they wear you down and eat you up eventually, right? They just, you know, they just grind you down over the course of a life. But the other things actually build you up in a way to love, to look for light, to look for good, to do good, to give and expect nothing in return, to turn the other cheek, to pray for those who hurt you. Those things are divine and they build you up. When you're younger, in the faith or in age, you simply have to trust the people going forward. And this is why it's so important for older people, especially in this congregation, to live the life. Because what it allows me as a pastor or me as a father to point at you and say, grow up to be like that person, right? Or this person. So it's terribly, terribly, terribly important for people who are older and who have walked this way for a long time to fully embrace it and not despair. All right? So I've talked to some of you about your kids who... 
you know, kids have all different ideas about the election, but, you know, there are people who are in complete despair about the election, right? So you have to think about what that means and how you would approach those people, right? And what it would mean to love those people and, not, and to bring them out of despair. And the church has a, a unique answer for that, virtue above tribe, right? Christ above election. doesn't mean Christ is against it. It just means that there are things that are more important. What are the most important things? The divine virtues, in this case, light, true, good, love, please. Go ahead. This is one of the most apt theological points you've made, Bruce, and I appreciate that very much. <clears throat> Hold on, man. How's that, huh? That's the only miracle that I'm going to do today. So, you've seen it all, buddy. You know, you, you know the old military adage: "Always attack from the sun." <laughs> yeah, right. All right. So, um, here's the thing. We, if we try to conjure this up by ourselves, and this is really an interesting thing, kind of on our national rebellion against God and our worldly rebellion against God, the, the modern world's rebellion against God for 300 years, what happens then is we always have to look to ourselves for our resources. And we don't hold up very well in difficult times. Often we don't hold up well in difficult times. And um, things can go badly. But, and the way, that, you know, the way that we can often react to these situations is to feel at risk. Right? If you listen now carefully, what you hear kind of universally is people in all directions, winners and losers, who feel at risk in some way. Right? Well, what I'm trying to suggest to you is that, um, and I, you know, here's the thing. You can think about it in, you can, you can think about it in all directions. Uh, I mean, all the things. I don't want to, I kind of don't want to go there, and I kind of want to go there because it's so easy, but I kind of don't, because I don't want you to take any of this the wrong way, but how people reacted in this past week or month, okay, on all sides when they felt like they were going to be humiliated, when they were afraid they're going to be hurt, when they were afraid they're going to be cast out, when they're afraid they're discriminated against. When people feel this way, they react in a particular way on all sides, right? Well, one of the two things. One is Christians kind of practice not to do that, turn the other cheek. And then, probably more apropos to today, is the second point here. In our relationship with God, we do not feel at risk, as if somehow we will be hurt, humiliated, paralyzed by someone who will betray us. So you remember, every sin is an act of betrayal, right? I think you love me, I trust you, you betray me, and I'm broken. That's how it works, right? So the, 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 it's first love, when you love me, then I trust and when I trust you and you betray me, I am broken. The singular thing about our relationship with God is that God will not betray you. God will not humiliate you. God will not break you, right? And so we are never at risk. And this is the thing that you, the church, I, Christ, has to offer that no one else can offer. And I would suggest to you, you know, what an opportunity is to people who are just broken, to empathize with people who, and it's not in all directions, like it's just not on one side. People, there's difficulty in many directions. Right? We have to be aware of that. But how do we, how do we reflect 
the image of God to other people. Okay, so just try this. We say, I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The form of the words might initially remind us of questions like, do you believe in ghosts or do you believe in UFOs? Questions about something out there whose existence is doubtful where the evidence is hotly disputed. So I'm not doing that. I'm not going to try to give you 20 proofs for why God exists. It's not very interesting. It's not very helpful either, by the way, because what if God exists and he hates you? It would be better if he didn't exist, right? So just proving the existence of God is not really that helpful in a big-picture sort of way. But although there are unfortunately many, both believers and unbelievers, who treat words like this, this isn't at all what they originally meant. In John's Gospel, the ninth chapter, Jesus asks the blind man he's just cured whether he believes in the Son of Man. So Jesus comes to this. You remember the story, John 9. He comes to this man. This man can't see. Jesus cures him. And then Jesus says, do you believe in the Son of Man? It's the weirdest little story, right? You would think it would go around the other way or find a different path. Jesus is certainly not asking, as he might ask about the Loch Ness Monster, whether the man is of the opinion that the Son of Man exists. That's not the big question. But he wants to know whether the former blind man is ready to trust in the Son of Man. That's it. right? To hold on. Or as I've often said to you, faith agrees. Jesus says, I'm the son of man. Do you think I'm the son of man? I think I'm the son of man. Do you think I'm the son of man? So faith in one word, faith agrees, right? And you know what? You can, you can parse this all the way down. At the end of the day, for every question as a Christian, you're either going to agree with Jesus or you're not going to agree with Jesus. It's that simple. You can, get it, you can get the faith down to one word. So he says, you know, do you believe in the son of man? Jesus... Um, I'm sorry, he wants to know whether the former blind man, the former blind man, so just just watch this. Former blind man means there was love in the form of a healing. And now Jesus is seeing whether trust follows. First the love, then the trust. That's the existential reality. That's the order in which things work. So Jesus says, I love you. And then he says, do you trust me? That's how the story goes. He wants to know whether the former blind man is ready to trust the Son of Man. That is, Jesus in his role as representative of the human race before God. The man naturally wants to know who the Son of Man is. And Jesus says, it's me. And the man responds, I believe. Love, trust. Love, trust. Okay? That should actually tell you then about bringing the people into church. Angry people, angry Christians do Zero good for the church. Zero good and a lot of damage. Because people aren't argued into the faith, and they're not tortured into the faith, and they're not demanded into the faith. People are loved into Christ. Christ is doing it right here, if you want to see what he does. The man believes. He has confidence. That is, he doesn't go off wondering whether the Son of Man is up to further his own ends or deceive him. He trusts Jesus to be working for him, that should resonate to your core as a Lutheran. Luther, for you, God is for you, completely for you, not against you, always for you. In every situation, God is for you, for you, for you. God loves you, he doesn't hate you, he's for you, right? So the, the primary thing of the Lutheran Reformation. Not for any selfish goals, so it doesn't work, Jesus isn't working for himself, and he believes that what he sees and hears when Jesus is around is the truth, right? See, now all the arguments about the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture, you know, finally put into context. 
love, trust. You're the way, the truth, and the life. Right? That's how it works. We're loved, and then we embrace. We're love. We love, and then we love back. We love, and then we, we're, we are loved, and then we agree. Hence the radical difference from believing in UFOs or the Loch Ness Monster. To believe in these doesn't make that much difference about how I feel about myself and the world in general. And it has nothing to do with whether the Loch Ness Monster is reliable or not. If it existed, it would undoubtedly be useful to know if it was a creature of dependable and regular habits. But that isn't what we have in mind when we talk about believing in it. The words at the beginning of the creed, in contrast, do make a difference in how the world feels to you. That should be true for you over the past week and month. The words of the creed, where this is Apostles' Creed, um, or the beginning of the creed, actually, this is... The, the words of the creed should make a difference in how you see the world. You should see the world differently. So I tried to do that in the sermon this morning. You need to relativize the whole world based on what Jesus has done. I believe in God the Father Almighty isn't the first in a set of answers to the question, how many ideas or pictures about God do I have inside my head? As if God were the, were the name of one more doubtful thing like UFOs and ghosts to add to the list of furniture in my imagination. It is the beginning of a series of statements about where I find the anchorage of my life, where I find solid ground, where I find home. That's it. I love you, come home. I love you, you're mine. I love you, I bless you. Right? The shorter text, this is just a sidebar, I put this in because I hadn't said this, but this is a good explanation. The shorter text, the Apostles' Creed, was probably used at baptism. The longer and more complicated text, the Nicene Creed, which we're working at, was probably worked out by the councils of the church leaders to try and rule out various faulty ideas. So you remember there was a big, you who can remember, when we had a blue hymnal and the ELC had a green hymnal, we started the creed I, and of course they started the creed we. Of course we have to both do something different, right? Like, right? So, um, so it isn't surprising that the Apostles' Creed begins I. I believe this and, I, and so you can baptize me. It's a formula for an individual taking a step of commitment in baptism. And the Nicene Creed in the early forms, though it was later changed, begins we. This is what we bishops or we pastors believe, and this is how we sort out our work. But now listen to this. It sets out what Christians can expect each other to take for granted. There you go. You know what the Creed tells me? The Creed tells me about you. The Creed tells me why I can love you and trust you. Because we've agreed. This is why the catechumenate here lasts so long. Because sort of our national understanding or our tribal understanding of what the scriptures say doesn't exist anymore. It's really interesting. Not, not our kids necessarily, but if you talk to young kids or if you talk to English teachers in school, nobody knows the biblical stories anymore. Right? People know so, so little. And there's a re- if you know some of those stories, that gives me a reason to trust you because you have some light, you have some truth, you have some beauty, you have some good that I can rely on in you. This is our common ground. This is how we're going to run the joint, right? The creed, that's how we're going to run it, okay? It sets out what Christians can expect each other to take for granted. You might even say that it tells us why we can trust each other in the Christian community. The reason I can trust you is because you said the creed this morning. And this is the reason I can... I mean, some days we, don't, we just get tangled up. But if you say the creed, I still trust you. Because we're still the same family. We're still the same folk, right? We're looking in the same direction, working with the same hopes and assumptions. And I would suggest to you that that is part of what's happened 
you know, sort of in America, we no longer have the same hopes and especially the same assumptions. It's kind of interesting. Not about politics, about morality, about God, about what matters, right? And it remains to be seen whether there's a place for everybody still to coexist, right? You know, I often said to you, you know, Christ will always have a church. It may not be on these two square blocks. Thank God it is because, you know, every time I go away, I come back and I realize how wonderful you are. But, you know, people who think that America will just last forever, kind of willy-nilly, well, you know, if you don't take care of things, they don't last forever. And I've run you the quote from Chesterton a few times in the bulletin where he traces different civilizations when they crash. What are they given to? Eroticism, violence, discrimination, right? Um, it's just, that's a, it's a genius little, you know, a genius little description you sort of say. You know, bread and circuses, when you come to that point, you know that you've come near the end of your political life. It may take a century or two. But, you know, at some point, right? As the beloved, and that's how God talks about us, you're the beloved, we can assume things are arranged for our benefit, for us, not against us. So I give you a little bit from Luther and the Creed. God the Father, this is what God does for you, and you should never forget this. God the Father, what does it mean that God loves you? Practically speaking, this is what it means. God the Father daily guards and defends you against every evil and misfortune, warding off all sorts of danger and disaster. It would be interesting to know. I would love to know how many times in your own life you've almost been killed by the stupid stuff you've done and by other people. So I have this image. I think I've told you this. You know, one of my earliest images is when my toast was stuck in the toaster. This would have been when I was about in the second grade. Now, this is back when toasters meant something, right? So I can remember crawling up on the countertop and looking at my toast burning. So I grabbed a knife and I, I, I went into the toaster. And I can remember, do you remember the films you used to see in grade school about the blast furnaces where the molten steel would be rolling orange? When I stuck that knife in there, honestly, it burned a smiley face curve out of that knife where the, it was like molten orange and dripping to the bottom of the toaster. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. <laughs> But my toast did not come out. Uh, and, of course, I, I don't think even the fuses blew because pff, that's back when fuses were tough, too. So, but I did actually, I can still remember, it had, a, it had a deep purple plastic handle, right? Which was made the difference between me being done at, uh, you know, age eight or seven and being here today, right? See, I mean, every day the Lord protects you from all kinds of crazy stuff that you do and that people might do to you, too. It would be interesting, I, it would be interesting to just... I don't know that it would help us that much because we forget, right? But it'll be interesting someday to see how many close calls you had, right? God the Father daily guards and defends us against every evil and misfortune, warding off all danger and disaster. And this he does out of pure love and goodness without our merit. So he loves you. And he loves you even though you're a bum, right? He loves you when you're unlovable, as a kind father who cares for us so that no evil may befall us. If you're a parent, I mean, you know this. Worse than being hurt is having your kids hurt. Everything we see and every blessing that comes our way should remind us. Remember, that's faith. When we escape distress and danger, we should recognize that it's God's doing. He gives us all these things so that we may sense and see in them his fatherly heart, and boundless love toward us. I just, I just give you a little. I just give you something to think about for a week. So this week, when you move through life, 
um, that good things will happen to you at some point. Just Here's what I want to do. I just want to give you an assignment. I want to try to remind you. So here's what I want to suggest to you to try to do. Try, your assignment is to say thank you for every good thing that happens to you this week as you move through life. You know, it doesn't have to be like, but the spectacular things. Like tonight is the biggest moon since 1948, right? You all coming to our house? Because we're going to be outside. Yeah? Okay, never mind. You're not, you're not coming. Okay, I'll tell Kirby. <laughs> you go through life this, this, this week and you say, see, just your assignment is to say thank you. Now, next week, if I can remember, you know, we'll check and see, one, if you did it. But two, what's so interesting in my own life is the lag time between something brilliant that happens to me and how long it takes me to be thankful for that. And I often think to myself about that. I think to myself about that lag time when something spectacularly wonderful happens and then it takes me X minutes or hours or days to say thank you for it, right? I mean, what Luther's trying to say to you is try to remember what's happening here. God is pushing away the evil from you, right? Morning and evening prayer, protect us from the evil one. God is pushing away the evil and bestowing all kinds of really good things for you. When we escape distress or danger, we should recognize it's God's doing. He gives us all these things so that we may sense and see in them his fatherly heart and his boundless love toward us. Thus our hearts will be warmed and kindled with gratitude to God and a desire to use all these blessings to his great glory and praise. Right? Now just a sidebar. We've done this other week, so I'm not going to do this. Um... The questions about if God can do anything, why doesn't he do them? Or if God can do anything, why doesn't he do the things I want? Or if God can do anything, why do I suffer? We've talked about those in other venues. And you see how this works then with love and trust. So what I say is, if I know that God loves me and I cling to that, then come what may, I'm in God's hands. Or everything comes to me as a gift and a blessing. And so I didn't mean to be flippant in the sermon this morning when I sort of said, you know, when they, you know, they shoot you between the eyes, it's not that big a deal. It is that big a deal and it's not that big a deal, right? Because everything is relativized by this. That everything comes to you as a gift and a blessing. Even your own death is a gift and a blessing, right? So this isn't kind of crazy martyrdom talk. This is just knowing a little bit of history, that you were created at some point, you know, but you live forever. So you have a beginning, but you don't have an end. You have to remember that. And so if you live to be 70 or 80 here, you know, three score and 20, the way the scriptures speak, it's a fairly short period of time. It is filled with enjoyment. It can be filled with beauty. It can be filled with love. I, and I think when we regret dying, one of the things we regret most is our relationships with other people or the beautiful things we might see, or the wonderful engagements where we've loved people and they've loved us back. So rare these seem to be. But, um, you know, you sort of say, well, um, and I sort of give you my you know, catchphrase here, wisdom isn't cheap and we pay for it with pain. And I've talked to you probably every year for the past five years about this at some point or another, where it doesn't simply mean because God is good you won't suffer, or because God can do anything he will do it. It's not just that he knits everything in your life together for the good. It's that he's knitting your life together with every other life 
together with the fabric of the universe together, all knitted together to push toward, right, this grand resolution. And so, you know, you, it may be push and pull. Um, and this, too, is where you can lend perspective to the world, right? God tends to, to, to work things out for those who love him. Um, and this is the backside, and I've often said this to you, which is you don't need to find suffering. This, on the other hand, doesn't mean you take an ascetic vow or you wear the opus day, you know, thing on your thigh that you tighten and make yourself bleed and in pain all day long so you can remember that the world is a transitory place. Evil will find you, right, in proper quantities. And God will protect you, um, or he will work that toward your good. But, you know, as I've often said to you, you can't see your lives in real time, and you have to wait for the big finish until after you've closed your eyes um, um, and they've put you in the box, right? Now, point three. We can always find reasons not to believe. You can find reasons not, your kid can find reasons not to clean his room. This is easy, man. You can always find reason to be angry at your spouse. You can always find reason, you can always find reasons for the negative. You can always, it's in us. It's original sin. And we give it incarnation in our actions. You can always find, of course you can find reasons not to believe. Yes, you can find reasons. And so often God has said, he's alien, he's distant, he's hidden, he's not there, he doesn't help me, I can't figure out what he's trying to do. Um, even that God is evil, right? And that God is against me. And so you either have to outwit him or avoid him or hope that he's not there. Okay. But what happens to you is that you become diabolical and dark. Now, in the end, you know, this is kind of interesting because this doesn't always happen immediately. And so this is, this is one of the things, you know, where you, you walk over time to a particular place or you grow up, you mature. It's just like a child. You know, they grow up over time. Occasionally you say, oh, you've sprung up. But, you know, when you're 7, you're 7, and you're 13, you're 13, and when you're 19, you're 19, within relative bounds. These things take some time. So, you know, it can't be, you know, occasionally somebody will say, this happened, so I just can't possibly believe in God. You know, you can't react immediately to that, but it's something like, well, there might be just a bit of a bigger picture here, right? And my understanding is not the limit of God's ability. And my ability to see is not the extent to which the Lord is moving the universe forward, right? At some point, I fail. So you can, in some ways, you can say to people, um, you, can, you can do that if you want, but you're always going to be miserable. And when people say, I'm not going to be miserable, you're like, you may not have to say it out loud, but you can think to yourself, that's miserable, right? That's dark, that's diabolical. In the end, you know, um, there's just love, and then there's everything else. That's the whole point. Love breeds faith. Love breeds hope. Love breeds compassion. Love bestows. There's, there's love and then everything else. So folks can try it one way or they can try it another. But um, the proof actually is in the pudding. And, you know, for, just read the newspaper, right? Pick up places where people have grown up generation after generation and hate for each other. Read the newspaper even in America. We shouldn't always be looking at somebody else. There's been plenty of hate in the past couple hundred years for us to have a good look at ourselves. But people who always hate, look what happens. 
and people who always love, look what happens, right? You can, and you can do this empirically. There's been, you know, if you just sort of follow, there's a thing called, at Stanford, there's a professor who does a thing called the Forgiveness Project, which is completely without um, divine impulse. He just looks at the difference in people's lives, the quality of their lives and their trajectories between if they forgive and if they don't. Or if you read about the, um, you know, you can, you, you can read about in, in Ireland, the Protestants and the Catholics, and, and how um, reconciliation comes about and how people's lives change when it comes, but how difficult it is when generation after generation after generation grow up to think to hate each other, right? So one of the reasons to, um, to do it is because it works. I mean, people try all, they live their lives in all sorts of ways, but live your life this way and it works. But if people won't, then everybody, you know, the Lord squares it up. The Lord squares it up. But we don't have any, I mean, come on, at the end of the day, we're hoping hell is empty. And we're hoping that the Lord squares it up with everybody put back together. God's goal, the Father's goal is to have every child home in Eden. Jesus' goal is to commune every last person on earth who's ever been born at his heavenly Eucharist. That's the goal. For God so loved the whole world, right? That's the goal. The goal is to love people back again. Or as this text is, you know, God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, the whole world, right? And so he reconciles us to him, and then he reconciles us to each other, and then we live in a particular way. And one by one, I mean, I, you know, somebody wrote me uh, this week about... um, Why the church in this time? And I said, you know, um, when I was your age, you know, I had to make some choices too. But I said, I chose inside out. So the church changes people by changing hearts, inside out. You love people, you change people, and one by one people change the world. Mother Teresa, right? Or you. Politics changes people Outside in. Here you can get on the bandwagon or by force we will come for you in one way or another. With everything from, you know, how confiscating things to, you know, um, you know, lining people up and shooting them down in the street. The church works inside out. Um, the world works outside in. The church works by the way of love. The world works by way of force. Right? In the end, when the chips are down, that's how things work. So if you're in the church, you have a fundamentally different understanding of how the world works and what would save it. You know, regularly the pastors this week quoted to each other, put not your faith in princes. Right? The scripture, put not your faith in princes. Right? No person is going to save me. No king, no government, no person is going to save me. In fact, they're not even going to love me well. But that's not the bottom line for me. The bottom line is that God loves me, and he bids me to love. So I act in my life in a way that has, in the first analysis, nothing to do with how you begin to treat me. Now, I I understand that these two worlds collide. You know, Augustine, city of God, city of man, I get that. I get Luther's two kingdoms. I understand that there's this nexus between them. I get that. 
and I know that there's a push and pull, which is what it means to be alive. You have to try to figure it out. But I tell you, if you choose the dark and diabolical and suspicious, your life goes one way, and if you don't, it goes another. So, and you are free to choose, right? You're free to choose. So you, you, sort, of, you sort of do what you want. Okay, pause. That's all under kind of the first bit. You okay? Everybody okay? Questions about any of that? I thought I was going to get farther. Sometimes I think that about what happens here. Then I don't. Then I don't get as far as I think I'm going to go. At least let me push you into God the Father just a little bit then and why God is your Father, and then we got to go. Okay, but just, just look at this. What's interesting in Scripture is you do have times where God talks about being you know, Father to Israel or Father to the world, but it, not as many times as maybe you think. Just not sort of the raw, I'm your father, Luke. You know, it's not in there quite as much. You know, it's not in there. What, you're not with me on this? So, you know, just, just checking to see if you're paying attention. You don't have quite as many of, uh, but I give you at least one. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, you remember later this gets fulfilled in Jesus because Jesus goes to Egypt and then he's called back, right? So this is always about Jesus too. But um, it was I who taught Ephraim to walk. I took them up by their arms but they did not know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness, with bands of love. See, I mean, he loves them even though they don't know it. He makes the first move. This is all just basic stuff, you know. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke on their jaws. I bent down to them and I fed them. God provides for you, right? So it is true that, um, you know, in general, if you want to think about God the Father as creator of all things, it's one way to think about. But a much more... Direct or easier, perhaps, ways to think that the Father has a son. You know, First Peter, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ is the one whom we speak about. And so just this natural progression, the Father has a son. That son is his ambassador of love and reconciliation, his ambassador of co- communication, you know. And the son's life, this is where it gets important, shows us who the Father is. You know the Father through the Son. That's why Lutherans occasionally will fight over this rubric that all theology is Christology, right? So in, in Lutheranism, we're very Christocentric, and sometimes to the, to the, um, to the, we madden other denominations with this because there's so much Christological emphasis. But you know, it's partly because we take seriously <coughs> that the Son's life shows us who the Father is. He's the one who made us. He loves us. And the son's life shows us what a human is meant to be. So the son, Jesus displays the father, what the father is, who he is, what he's meant to be. Jesus displays humanity. This is what you and I are meant to be. He's not an idea or an object. Jesus is a person. So this is a very big difference between Christianity and other religions. God is not an idea. God is not an aspiration. God is not a projection, you know. God is a person. All right, this is where we take leave of the Greeks, for example, or the Gnostics. God is, God is a person. If you want to know what you're meant to be, who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? The great questions of life. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? You want the answers to those questions? Look at Jesus. And in the church, we are all in with that. I mean, we say... Be like Jesus. Follow Jesus. Be Christ to one another. Okay? So, the son's life 
birth, death, resurrection, shows us the purpose of our lives. And he shows us what God wants to happen to us. Now, last thing, this glorious thing about being able to pray Papa in the Lord's Prayer. So, Jesus, God is your Father is because Jesus is your brother. You know this, but I just want to say it out loud. Because this, this, this thing, when you pray, we want to be like you, Jesus, tell us how to pray. When you pray, pray Papa. Right? Papa. Daddy. Right? Because Jesus is your brother, God is your Father. And you're able to speak to God in this very familiar way as one who is dependent and loved. And so, you know, it's a little like, you know, if you can imagine this good moment where, where your own child comes to you completely disarmed and perhaps weeping, right? If you can imagine what this moment is like. And you're filled with, you know, sympathy for this child, you know. You have a tender heart for this child, you know, and, you, and, and, and your, father, your, your child says to you, Papa or Mama, right? A similar kind of response. You know, that's the relationship of love that you're put into um, with your Heavenly Father. Of course, you are your child's creator in some sense. Of course, God is your creator in some sense. Of course, you're an authority. Of course, you're dominant. Of course, of course, of course, of course. But when people are broken, the most pressing thing for people to know is that you love them. Papa, right? So whatever happens to you the rest of the day, let's say you go home and stick a knife in a toaster, you know? <laughs> I mean, when you lie, and you get spared by that. You should go home tonight, and you, when you lie down in bed, and you say, Papa, our father, my daddy, right? Our, because we're all in it together, friends. But, um, you know, that's the relationship you have. And honest to God, I think that this is the most attractive way to tell people about Jesus. It's not 25 reasons for design of the universe, although that can be important. It's not because you pound on the scriptures because it's inspired and errant, although that is important and true. It is how you engage people. Virtue above tribe, right? Principle above politics and Christ above all things. That is what will draw people into Christ. That's what will bring your brothers and sisters home of all places and colors, you know, and religions and everything else, to give them the possibility of saying to Jesus, do you believe in the Son of Man? I believe. Okay? So, gently, gently through life, friends. Okay, got to go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, one last thing. We're trying to get new pictures of everybody. Uh, either updated pictures, families with all their kids so we can learn everybody's name. Or So um, there are some, the Shields were doing it today, but you're going to find down by the desk over the next couple of weeks as you come in and out. If you'll just let us take a, a deal. You can, you know, send, um, you can send it to, you can take a selfie and send it to selfie at stjohnwheaton.org and it'll get to us. But I heard Pastor Bukes tried to get you to do that and nobody, he said, everybody lift your camera. Were you in church? Lift your camera, take a selfie. He's like, not one person 
lifted their camera. I'm like, well, okay, we'll try another way. So get your picture. Send us a clean picture. Please, please, please. Selfies at stjohnwheaton.org.